welcome to the Wellspring Podcast. Uh, my name is Scott Smith, and I am with Phil Marins, a worship minister, and Tyler Davison, a student pastor, James Gonzalez, associate pastor. And today, uh, we're continuing our series, What Does the Bible Say About Government? Uh, so this is going to be a fun topic, because this is something I think most, at least if you call Wellspring home, you probably have a, an opinion on. Now, I know that's I know this because uh, I'm friends with you on Facebook. Um, so uh, it's going to be a fun <laughs> What are you saying, topic. Scott? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, I kind of made a joke about it, but uh, I'm curious how how uh, involved you are with, with politics. My Like, I love politics, and I love to read about it and talk about it. My wife, not so much, although she's getting a little bit more so. Um, James, what about you? I think theoretically I enjoy politics. I think I enjoyed my civics classes growing up and you know high school. I enjoyed uh, international relations and uh, government classes in college. Uh, honestly, today in the political environment that is today where what I believed used to be a hard and fast rules or ways in which our government worked, or even other governments around the world worked. They don't seem to be; those rules don't seem to be followed as much anymore. I've, I've become a little disenfranchised, a little mm-hmm. cynical. But uh, you know, in theory, I enjoy just as a guy who likes leadership and enjoys how organizations function. I enjoy the the uh, concepts of of government and politics in general. Mm-hmm. Um, just wish I could enjoy it more than I can in the current context. Yeah, that makes sense. Tyler? So much so for James that he's leaving the United States. Let <laughs> 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 study, uh, study different types of government. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> One that's not corrupt. And uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, you know what? Uh, still pretty young guy, but uh, in high school, I was, I was really into politics, enjoyed reading about it, um, really enjoyed my American government class and the history of American politics and whatnot. Um, when I was in high school, I also went to um, Boy State. If you don't know what that is, it's a, it's kind of a civics camp. Uh, it's put on by uh, American Legion. Different states will do it. Um, I think most states probably do. It's probably started uh, around the 30s, 40s, I think, uh, around First or Second World War is kind of uh, uh, a, f- a fight against fascism and, and Nazism uh, to teach young men about um, the ideal ideals and principles of of uh, uh, American politics and whatnot. I, I really enjoyed going and doing that. Um, went back as a counselor for a couple of years, um, but over the last several years, um, maybe like James, I, I've become maybe a little bit more cynical, less engaged uh, with it, don't don't pay attention to it near as much. Part of that may be because I don't have uh, cable, so I'm not watching uh, <laughs> cable news, not watching Fox News or CNN or, you know, whatever else. Um, so whatever I get is, is basically from Facebook, which isn't a super great source to be getting your to be receiving your political information. Yeah. So. And Hamilton, but, too, right? Oh, Hamilton, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah for sure. Um, <laughs> Foundation of government education. Absolutely. Did watch that uh, <laughs> last week, I think, and uh, my wife decided she wanted to watch it again yesterday and has oh, been good. listening to it 
nonstop singing it. So I love it. I love the soundtrack. It's oh, it, it's great. Man, but I like that genre of music too. My so. wife just wants to sing like a line from each song and put it all together into one song <laughs> and just sings those same lines over and over again. And uh, <laughs> oh, that's I think I'm getting a little tired of it. I think she listens. <laughs> Sebi, you need to stop. Okay, <laughs> you need to stop. Sebi, come on. Oh, no. Phil, what about you? Uh, my my absolute favorite thing to do is to tune in to C-SPAN and watch a congressional <laughs> speech. No, actually not. <laughs> that is just... Oh, man. I don't know. Feel, I've always felt like government was a little boring. Uh, you know, just how they do all these detailed laws about everything. But when it starts affecting your life, that's when you get sort of excited about it or uh, when current events start bubbling and you start seeing kind of the strategy or you wonder about the motives of people involved. And as I grew older, probably I, yeah. I, I'm much more uh, in tune to what's going on <clears throat> in the political realm. Yeah, for sure. Uh, what do you think is not, what do you think? That's a terrible way to start the, the question. I, what <laughs> I meant to say was, what does the Bible say about government or, or what's the purpose according to the Bible uh, of human governing authorities. Uh, what does the Bible say is the purpose? Why would God set up a secular government, at least in our in our context? In the Old Testament, it wasn't. It was a theocracy. But in our context, why does God set up a governing authority? So I think someone's going to answer that question referencing Romans 13, which uh, I think if, if you were going to do that, you, you should, Tyler or Phil. But I want to go to 1 Peter 2. 13 through 14 because it's sometimes the less the less popular answer to that question and and uh, there Peter writes be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good um, you know I think to say that God set up that type of government, um, you know, could be challenged. I don't know. I think that's a, a fair way to say it. You might almost say God allows and then uses those types of governments that humans have set up. Mm-hmm. Because to say that, you know, uh, that the institution that is in power um, is uh, maybe set, set up by God may be one thing. But that doesn't necessarily mean that God endorses that particular institution. Uh, at the time that Peter's likely writing uh, this epistle, it's early 80s AD, uh, uh, Domitian is the emperor in Rome, and he's not as bad as Nero, but they were all pretty bad, mm-hmm. and Domitian was known for ha- uh, being pretty authoritarian, so um, and, and not kind to Christians. Yeah. Uh, again, not as bad as Nero, but not kind to Christians in his own right by any means. Mm-hmm. Um, yet... This verse implies that the government is there to do justice, to promote good, and to punish evil. And that's not the only place in the Bible that uh, governments are described as having that role. Mm-hmm. So yeah. on one level, that's clearly uh, what you know we should be looking at human governments to do. Yeah, I, absolutely right. The I Bible uses a couple different words, I think. Well, it does use words like government. Uh, like the government is upon his shoulder, speaking about Christ mm-hmm. from Isaiah, but it also uses the word kingdom, I think probably more than it uses the word government. Uh, you do, 
talk about governing authorities in the New Testament, but in the Old Testament, he talks a lot about kingdom. And really, there's kind of an instance where we see where kings come into play. It's when they rejected the Lord as king, and he gave them a king like they thought they should have. King Saul came about that, and and uh, the Lord said to Samuel, they're not rejecting your judgeship. Samuel was a judge and a prophet, but he says they're really rejecting my rule over them. But it's clear from the Old Testament, especially in the book of Daniel, I think you you gather um, the idea where Nebuchadnezzar draws this conclusion um, that uh, the kingdoms of this world are ruled by God. And he puts, he says, he puts the lowliest of men in places. So God exalts kings and he, and he, and he lowers kings. In fact, he raises up kings to accomplish certain things. He, he raised up the king of Assyria to punish Israel and take them into captivity. But then he turns around and he says, I hold the king of Assyria accountable for what he did. And so there's this interesting uh, interplay between the Lord's systems of judgment in the world. I think there's this evidence that he uses systems from the New Testament, the systems of government to keep um, evil people in check and also to uh, move through history and, and shape the course of nations. And he sets boundaries on people and, and nations, as he says in the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. What do, you, what do you have to add, Tyler? Well, for those that are listening in, a couple of texts have already been mentioned. James mentioned one that I'll um, talk a little bit about, and, and one that really everyone should try to go read. It's uh, Romans 13, uh, verses 1 to 7. This is really one of the key texts that people will go to when talking about the the role and purpose of uh, government as it is biblically defined. But we have to also be careful, just as a word of warning. Um, this is oftentimes used um, uh, as an abuse as well. You know, if, uh, if your government starts quoting this at you, um, Romans 13, verse 1, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, uh, you probably got a bad situation going on there. Um, you know, it's it's sometimes been used uh, uh, oppressively. So just there, there's a lot of factors that go into this. But um, one thing that we get from this is that the um, government is is instituted by God for the good of all people. Um, we see that that the derivative of um, of human authority is this divine authority that God establishes um, these governments in order to for them to actually be. Um, as verse 4 says here, to be um, be a servant of God. It says, uh, for he is God's servant, referring to the government, for your good. Um, you know, the, the, these governments are, uh, as it says in verse 6 even, ministers of God. And just as uh, Phil mentioned, um, even corrupt people and corrupt governments can be used um, to serve God's purposes in the world. Um, such as uh, bringing judgment upon Israel in the Old Testament, um, even though they are still, you know, those those kings and rulers are responsible for um, their own actions. Um, Romans 13 says that the government provides earthly justice and protection. Um, verse 4, for he, the magistrate, the government's representative, is a servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Um, 
we don't live in an uh, anarchist society, um, you know, in which it, we're kind of in the Wild West, right? Where uh, just whoever wants to, I guess, gets to enact um, judgment on whoever they feel feel is wrong. Them, there's kind of this third party that God has given to us um, in order to to be the avenger and to be uh, the one who uh, who carries justice in the world. Um, the they're the ones who who bear the sword, who um, who who fight wars and and do these things. God, uh, they they uh, work on the behalf of the good of all people, or at least that's what they're intended for. Um, government also creates a social space for the display of of good conduct. James referred to that in First Peter two, uh, verse fourteen. Um, uh, government leaders should not be a terror to good conduct. Um, Romans three, verse three. There, there's a lot of things that could be said here, uh, and really, I'll just say, you know, this is something. Romans thirteen, some of these passages that we're referencing here. Uh, go study those and read those. Yeah. Because we, I mean, we take the next hour to unpack some of those things. Yeah. So. Uh, that's that's good. The the government serves is a servant for our good. Avenger for those, uh, avenger on behalf of God to carry out wrath. Uh, a minister of God, honor those, their, their uh, government's supposed to honor those who do good, punish those who do evil, all of those things you've talked about. Um, but if I'm listening, my response to that would be well, that sounds like um, four pastors talking. Because, yes, in an ideal world, perfect, perfect world, um, that's what government would do, but uh, I've never seen, I'm, I'm speaking for somebody who's listening, I've never seen a government actually do that. Um, they, they don't always prop up those who are doing good. They, sometimes they, they, those who are evil are the ones who are benefiting. Um, how would you respond to that? I, I want to I go first, just kind of answer my own question first, but um, kind of piggyback off of that. The first thing that I would say is, um, and I guess the only thing I would say to, to that um, uh kind of rebuttal or a rebuttal to that would be um, to remember the government that is in place when they write this. Uh, James referenced that and the same is true in First Peter is true in Rome and in Romans whenever Paul writes Romans. Um, it is not a good government. Like it's a, it's a terrible government especially for, um, for uh, Christians, for those who are following Christ. So it's not like they were writing these um, in an awesome environment, in an idealistic environment, and then all of a sudden everything got started to spin out of control. Um, they wrote these in in very difficult circumstances, and yet this is what they said about the government officials. And uh, so uh, my point is, uh, just because our government doesn't always live up to these ideals, um, doesn't mean that the writers didn't understand that. They absolutely understand that. In fact, they lived it out. Um, while while this was being written under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, um, but what else would you add? Would you add to that? Yeah, and I think it's important to keep in mind that I think the writers that we're referencing here in uh, in the New Testament looked at these governments in the right place. And what I mean by that is, is temporary entities that were not going to be eternal. And Bill referenced language that points to the King. The king who will reign on high forever. When this world ceases to exist and the new world comes and you know, our, our Lord is reigning as king, that is the context through which we are supposed to look at 
these types of things. It's, it's, it's the context in which we can distinguish between the temporary and the eternal. And I reference 2 Corinthians 4 here, um, where Paul writes, For the light, I'm sorry, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are uh, seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So, <clears throat> I know that doesn't necessarily seem to fit a conversation about, about government, but we're talking about the context in which these writers wrote a submission to the government. Because, again, this is a short-term thing. This government is a short-term thing, and if you need evidence of that, just look in history. Mm -hmm. right? The government that yeah. we're talking about that Peter wrote in stopped existing over 1,500 years ago, right? The government that exists today in our country is probably not going to exist a thousand years from now. And I guarantee it's not going to exist once this world ends, right? Mm -hmm. It is temporary. Every human man-made government is temporary, but there's one that is not. Mm -hmm. And so when you look at why the authors were referencing Peter or Paul could, could write in such a way, it's because they understood that. They understood that this is simply the, the, the way in which we as Christians live for the glory of God, knowing that beyond this time and this era, we're going to be in submission to a greater king whose just is unquestionable, whose justice is unquestionable, whose righteousness is beyond even our own understanding. Yeah. And I think, I think that's important to keep in mind when we think about their motives and why they wrote what they wrote. Because to your point, they did, I mean, you can't tell me, particularly Paul and Peter, we know were, were you know, executed yeah. by these governments that they're writing about. Mm -hmm. It's not that they wanted to. <clears throat> yeah. They just understood the bigger picture. Yeah, that's good. Again, if you go back to Daniel chapter 2, he, where Nebuchadnezzar has the image uh, dream, and Daniel comes and in, interprets it. It's got the head of gold and the uh, silver and the bronze and the, and the iron. And it says that there was a, a rock carved out by not human hands. And this rock, we are told, Daniel interprets, uh, that it is the kingdom of God that comes and smashes these image. So there's the coming, and then there's prophecies in the New Testament, Thessalonians, such, where, where the Lord Jesus will destroy the kingdoms of this, this and the kings of this earth by the breath of his mouth at his coming. Mm -hmm. And so... Uh, this kingdom, as described by Daniel, is a, a rock that becomes a huge mountain and fills the whole earth. Mm -hmm. So the kingdom, and my favorite verse almost, I think, in the Bible is in Revelation, where finally the shout is made, the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. So that's the destiny of of earthly kingdoms is they're all going to crumble. They're all going to, because as, as James said, they're all temporary and they're going to be replaced by the kingdom of God, Yeah, which yeah. is a great promise. Absolutely. Well, we look forward, we look forward to that day for sure. Mm -hmm. um, but we acknowledge that they're, that they don't always live up to the standard. Absolutely. That governments don't always live up to the standard that the Bible sets. So when they ask uh, Christians specifically to, um, do things or to submit in ways that are antithetical or opposed to the Bible, uh, how should Christians respond, Tyler? Uh, what should Christians do if the government, you know, as could happen one day, asks us as believers to do something that's opposed to the Bible? This has been handled in different ways throughout different time periods, depending on the degree 
of, of severity of what's being asked of you and um, thankfully at least for now we live in a in a society in which um, re- religious freedom is a is a thing and, and we're able to make an appeal to our religious freedom and um, uh, that we're, we're able to you know whether it's being you know think I think about uh, conscientious objectors those who were you know pacifists who said you know what I've, I've been um, called to go to war but but I'm I object to this based off of off of my faith or my religion I'm not not going to do that and and thankfully things like that have been um, respected it's been it's been approached in different ways I, I think that you know there's a degree of, of evil in every in every government no no government system is is uh, is perfect and um, if we you know if we we would, we would constantly be in revolution if that was the case as Christians. And I don't think that that's what we're, what we're called to do. You know, the, um, the, the people in Jesus's day, they didn't want to pay taxes to Caesar. And Jesus said, pay, you know, pay your taxes. Um, that there are certain things, you know, if, if, uh, um, the government, you know, says that, I don't, I don't, I don't know what it would be, for example, but, you know, um, uh, Puts a puts a mandate on how many children you're allowed to have, and uh, and you know you and your family have two kids. That's as many as you're allowed to have, and um, you you find out you're pregnant again, and they say, sorry, you have to have an abortion. Um, that I think in that in that case, it's it's only right to um, stand against what is what is being asked of you, even if it's going to cost you being thrown into prison or, or cost you your life or. Whatever the case may be, I, I think we've been been called to, to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, at, at the same time, though, it's it's a it's a difficult thing because I don't think we should live in constant revolt of, of our government um, because of the errors and mistakes and and corruption that does exist in, in nearly ever every government on earth. I think that would be detrimental to our to our witnesses as believers, but. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's a it's a challenging thing. It takes an incredible amount of wisdom and discernment to to navigate some of those things. Yeah. So James, what would you add? Yeah. So <clears throat> Acts, I think, speaks to this uh, question somewhat. In Acts four, mm-hmm. uh, Peter and John are before the Sanhedrin, and they uh, the, the Sanhedrin's telling them, "You need to stop proclaiming the gospel and the good news." about Jesus Christ. And uh, in verse 19, so Acts 4, 19, but Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. And so that's a clear example of an authority, authoritative body, specifically for, for Peter and John mm-hmm. as, as Jews, um, saying that they're not going to, maybe not the same as the government, but, but a, a close analogy. Yeah. Saying that, no, we're not going to, we understand that you have some authority over us, even if it's just by virtue of the fact that you're stronger than us and you have numbers and you can beat us if you want to, as evidenced by the fact that they did mm-hmm. immediately thereafter. Uh, we're still not going to abide by what you're telling us to do. But I think the further evidence in Acts was that they were willing to deal with the consequences of standing by what God had called them to do. 
And I think that's what we have to be prepared to do as well. Mm-hmm. And further evidence of that is what Paul does throughout the rest of uh, the book of, of Acts. Uh, there was an instance where he could have escaped from prison. He chose not to. Mm-hmm. He, as a Roman citizen, was able to utilize uh, the legal system of the Roman Empire. And, and rather than simply try to work his way out of it, he abided while still doing what God called him to do. So he did uh, as, as he was called and proclaimed the name of Jesus Christ as we're all called, uh, but still dealt with the consequences. And I think that's what we need to prepare, be prepared to do. And and one of the things that worries me, having grown up in the United States, uh, and given that the United States has been uh, a relatively free country with regard to religion throughout most of its history, per- throughout all of its history, uh, particularly relative to other countries around the world, mm-hmm. we've enjoyed that freedom. It's what it's one of the things that I, you know, it seems pretty popular these days to criticize the United States. I, I think we need to take into account the fact that in terms of religious freedom, very few countries you know compare in to history in history yeah. exactly compared to to the religious freedom uh, that has been experienced by americans over the last hundreds of years uh, but we need to be prepared for a time where that's not the case whether it's a time in the future of our own country or a time where us or our children are in a different country where that's not the case and we need to think about that time in which what are we going to do when we are called to make disciples but the human authorities at that time are going to bring down consequences as a result. There are there are people in China today, it's in the news today, mm-hmm. uh, people in China who are on government assistance who are being told if you don't reject your Christian beliefs, you're no, no longer going to receive welfare. Mm-hmm. On one level, I'm thankful that I'm not in that position. On another level, I want to prepare my heart and mind for a day that I may be in that position su- such that I am ready to deal with the consequences of following Jesus. I'm ready to take up my cross mm-hmm. and follow him because I think that's exactly what the Bible calls us to do. Yeah. It's interesting Jeremiah sort of references that in Jeremiah 29:7 uh the people of Israel, uh, people of Judah are going to be captive. And uh this is the advice Jeremiah gives him. He says, "But seek the welfare of the city to where you've been sent into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf." For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. And there is a way to live peaceably, even in, even in oppressive governments, where, where for the most part, I mean, even as bad as we think about the Roman Empire, even in China, there are certain things that they keep order about, that they keep uh, people being, from being killed. Yes, there is persecution too, but there is still some symbols of order. If you think about the, the centurion that came um, and talked to Jesus, he said, I'm a man under authority. And I think about, um, I guess what I'm getting to is there's, there's a time like Daniel to rise to a position in another, in our society, in our government. I think one of the one of the problems with Christians has been that we complain about the government, but we we don't become governors or we don't become mayors or, you know, uh, there's a, there's a story in the old Testament about Abimelech, um, who, uh, killed all his brothers. And, and, um, there's, there's this, uh, Jotham, uh, who was a judge at that time. Uh, anyway, he tells this parable about the bramble bush 
uh, king. In other words, all, all of the really good trees of the forest, he's telling this parable, all the good trees of the forest didn't want the job of ruling. They had their businesses to run. They, they had their own things that they were doing. They didn't have time to, to take charge of people. And so the bramble bush says, okay, I'll be king. And uh, he did, and eventually he destroys the whole forest. Well, that's what happens when good people don't rise up into positions and take responsibility uh, that they need to in governments and things. So I think part of that is what, what we see today. If, unless godly people will, will rise and take responsibility to lead, uh, many, many people will just come in and fill, fill those positions yeah. who have nefarious... Uh, you know, motivations and yeah. things. That's good. Yeah, I, I do want to clarify. I, I, I agree. I mean, that it's easy to almost become separatist and just want to completely disengage from, from society. And you're right. that That's not necessarily what we see, um, you know, throughout, throughout the Bible as well. This idea that we might have things that the government will tell us to do that violate, uh, you know, our biblical commands. I think that's abused. As mm-hmm. much as I just said, there, you know, when I reference um, Peter and John, that was a very clear instance. By and large, you know, we don't see a lot of, of our biblical characters, particularly in the Gospels and in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, we don't see a lot of times where in that, they're in that position. And I think we... Uh, or some people today tend to want to abuse that, that idea um, because they don't like a certain policy, right? Mm-hmm. I've heard a lot of people say, well, there's going to come a point where I don't pay my taxes. At, at that point, I need to go to Mark 12 and say, well, you know, Jesus said pay unto Caesar, you know, pay your taxes, essentially. And again, if we think about the context in the book of Romans, the Roman Empire wasn't doing great things with that money, mm-hmm. right? They were killing innocent people with that money. And there's no doubt in my mind that you know, Jesus and, and, and the disciples knew that, yeah. that, right? Paul's letter to the Romans was written during the middle of Nero's reign. Yeah. yeah. So. Exactly. So, we can't abuse that. As much as, as much as it's a reality, there may come a time for all of us that we, we may have to defy government rule. We, we need to be very clear that it is a, a higher uh, biblical calling uh, that we're submitting to mm-hmm. that is in direct conflict with whatever the government may be telling us. Yeah. And, and those aren't very common. I agree. Yeah, that's good. That's a good clarification. Uh, last last question before we, before we close this down. I've really enjoyed this, by the way. I appreciate y'all's insights. Uh, what general guidelines would you give to people uh, when it comes to political engagement? Uh, I'm, in my mind's eye, I'm thinking about social media because that's something that we all struggle with, or maybe I'm, I'm projecting a struggle that I have onto everybody else. But um, what, what guidelines would you give to uh, followers of Christ when it comes to, to political engagement? I thought you were going to ask if the uh, government told you to wear, wear a mask to you. <laughs> yeah. Should I, should I <laughs> wear it? Oh, yeah. We won't get that's, into that. That's, uh, yeah. Well, I guess that, that we on, could. We're, talk, we're covering that on a macro level, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what what uh, general a, guidelines? Would you I think there's a general principle of speaking the truth in love that guides everything we do. And it's, I don't know, for some reason, the political becomes the hot button issue. And so we get all get upset about it. But speaking truth in love always works. And uh, 
we don't want to we don't want to get involved in lies or anything else we never would about any other issue but uh doing doing our process in in an act of love and and with gentleness you know correcting uh whom we think may be wrong and and realizing maybe there are some things that aren't worth fighting over uh is is a lot of that but um but i do need we certainly need to uh, keep preaching the gospel, te- keep on task with the kingdom and realize that's going to be the, the eternal kingdom that's going to outlast everything else. Yeah, I, I agree wholeheartedly with that. And I reference Colossians 4, 5, and 6. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. And then, uh, just before that, in Colossians 3, verse 12 says, Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. And we don't, I don't think we, particularly those last two, or maybe those last three terms, I don't think we often attribute... Um, to strength in our political conversations, humility, meekness, and patience. But that's what, that's what God calls us to, to do when we deal with other people, to love our neighbor as ourselves uh, with humility, meekness, and patience, not with the louder voice mm-hmm. uh, or with the uh, harder slamming fist, mm-hmm. uh, but to win them over, just as Phil said, with love. And that's, I think that's what we miss the most. And, uh, you know, Facebook is a great means of communication for some things. Um, it is, it has really helped me realize that particularly when we are, when, when we are on the other side of the world, I'm going to need to use that tool because it's just an easy way to communicate with many people, uh, that are in my life. But mm-hmm. I've not found it to be a good way to speak in love. Uh, I've not found it to be a good way to ensure that my speech is filled with the salt that Colossians calls me to fill it with. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's why I, I tend not to try to have those tougher conversations uh, on social media platforms. But yeah, yeah it's to love each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's what we're missing. Yeah. 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 Agree with, agree with all those things. Um, fundamentally, the Bible calls us to respect and honor government leaders. Romans 13, 7. Um, it also says to be subject to, to the government and obey its laws, Romans 13, 1-5. Um, it calls us to pray for our civil leaders, First uh, Timothy 2. And it calls us to, to pay our taxes, Matthew 22 and, and Romans 13. Um, those are four very fundamental things that we can do that, are, that seem to be very clear as far as other guidelines for participation in uh, government politics. Um, I would agree with both of the thing, you know, all the things that you you both said. Uh, but at the same time, there uh, there there's a trap, or, or I guess two ditches that we can fall into on either side of things. One is is complete disengagement that says, you know, we've got got to be separatists, and we have to um, almost you know revolt and start a revolution you know, away from our government, and you know. Um, and just kind of pull out, withdraw. And I think that's the wrong direction to go. Another view says that no, we can we can just change the we can change the world. You know, how, how many times do we hear 
that said at a graduation or something, you know, you, you all are going to change the world. Well, the world doesn't change that easily. You know, there's, there's organizations out there like, well, if we just win the hearts and minds of people with the gospel, we'll change it in a, in a generation. Even, even during the explosive growth of, of Christianity in the first few centuries, it didn't, it didn't change like that. The world's never changed like that. Um, and there can be a, you know, this idea of like, well, I, you know, we got to, um, all of our, all of our government officials need to be, need to be Christians and we need to, you know, just get them in there and we all need to run for office and that's how we're going to change the world. Uh, no, it, it's, it's not really either one of those things. It's not setting up your own, you know, Christian government that doesn't exist. That's, you know, that's really the kingdom of God. That's when the, the church and, and state really do come together, and that doesn't come until Christ comes again. Um, or there's this, you know, well, we're, we're just going to build the kingdom of God here on earth through, you know, through American politics. Well, sorry, but that that's not really happening either. It's not, it's not going to happen. Um, the, there's, there's somewhere in between there I think we're called to live. And it's what um, this Christian sociologist... Uh, uh, recent book, it's ironically called To Change the World. It's by a guy named James Davison Hunter. I really like what he, what he puts forward. And he calls us to, to faithful presence, to live faithfully where we are as Christians, um, and to filter all that we do through our own discipleship. And that includes the way that we engage with our politics, which leads us to um, be obedient to texts like Colossians 4 and Colossians 3, you know, to... Um, to put on meekness and humility and and uh, faithfulness and, and love and kindness um, towards outsiders and and to be well thought of by them, and so we should pursue all those things in in no matter what arena we're in, whether we're on Facebook or Twitter or having a conversation with a neighbor or going to the polls uh, this November, whatever it is, uh, let's seek to live faithfully as followers of Jesus. Yeah, I think that's good. One thing to add, we always like to, uh, when we can, reference specific resources, and there's one for this conversation. This year, David Platt uh, did, he does every year something called Secret Church, and this year, the topic for Secret Church was God, the government, and the gospel. And uh, if you go to Radical Secret Church, just Google that, it'll, it'll bring up that page, and you can watch six hours worth of videos, you can download the, uh, the study guide, and all the answers to the study guide, and explore it to your heart's content. It's mm-hmm. worth the watch. Uh, my wife and I watched it earlier this year, and uh, it really covers what we, uh, you know, it, we just dipped our toe in. Mm-hmm. But if you want an in-depth uh, study of this topic and what the scriptures say about it, I, I direct you to that resource. Mm-hmm. Ed Stetzer's book, uh, Christians in an Age of Outrage, would be another good one. Mm-hmm. Tim Keller's got a great article on, uh, uh, what's that on? The New York Times. It's called, uh, How Do Christians Fit Into the Two-Party System? Simple answer, they don't. I'd encourage you to go read that article, too, if you can find it. Yeah. I've, heard, I've read or uh, am familiar with all of those resources, and I would, I'd second those. They're good. All right, well, thank you for joining us today, and we uh, look forward to uh, being with you next week for our, I think it's our last one. Last one uh, last, our last podcast next week, at least for this series. Jesus uh, is coming back. Yeah, oh, <laughs> That's a, I, maybe. I hope we can. Hope. I hope <laughs> on books and reading, right? Yeah. So, is that what we're talking about next week? That's right. Yeah, on books and reading. Books and reading. Yeah, it'll be. Okay. What does the Bible say about books and reading? So, yeah. we'll see you then. Thanks for joining us.